welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Happy Father's Day. Happy, can I say, happy male masculinity day? Can I say that? It's like a swear word. Yes, please. Someone said yes, please. We agree. Who said yes, please? Okay. Pascal says yes, please. Happy male masculinity day. That offends you. Sorry. Not sorry. You know, on these days, I always, I always struggle. I don't, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the themed days when it comes to church culture. Um, but I try to lean in. And ask God, God, what do you want to do? And I actually felt really strong about this Sunday, specifically diving into more of, we've been on this like three-week track, talking about the Holy Spirit, and I've, I've, I've kind of said this over and over again, that it's kind of been like um, very, more of a devotional style, encouragement, prophetic in nature type of message. Today I want to do a little bit more of a teaching message if I can. So I'm going to put a little bit, uh, I'm going to encourage you actually to take out, if you have a notepad or, or who has notepads still? Oh, one. Awesome. If you have a, a phone or something, take some notes today. I just believe that the Holy Spirit wants to impart something real deep in your heart around a subject that I don't think we understand a lot of, uh, enough about. And that's really diving into this idea that God is a father. There are many attributes of the nature of God. But the attribute of fatherhood, fathering, the father heart and the father leadership of God, I would call it like that, that I would say it that way, is really, we, 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 we can find a lot of this scripted in the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray. Some of some people would call it the Lord's Prayer, which actually is not a valid statement. It isn't the Lord's Prayer because Jesus couldn't actually pray that prayer. It was a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray pre-death and resurrection. Anything pre-death and resurrection um, always points to a future time. It points to something about to happen. But it was a precursor because the way we pray now is a little bit different after the resurrection. I'm not going to get into that, but I'm going to dive into Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And we're going to literally camp and set, a, set up a campfire around verse 9. Can we do that? Verse 9. Some of you might know this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus is really discussing the topic of prayer in context. And he says, like, when you pray, you know, you want to, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the religious people. Don't babble. Don't repeat stuff. Just go into your secret place. Go into your private room. Close the door. And, and your father, who knows all of your needs, will hear you. And then he goes on to say, gives more instruction. He goes on to say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, pray like this. So he gives instructions to the disciples. And he says, our father, everyone say our father. In heaven, oh, I didn't say repeat that, but you can if you want. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy, period. There is so much revelatory truth in that one verse. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. When you approach God, start off with our Father who is in heaven, May your name be kept holy. Some of you might know this verse says, hallowed be your name. Because you have that on your fridge and you have no idea what it means. What does hallowed mean anyways? Hallowed be your name. May your name be kept holy. God, I pray this morning that we would have understanding of something. That in this time and in this day and age, we need it more than ever. And that's this concept of you as a good father. In Jesus' name. 
So my message today, I'm talking about this subject of our Father. Everyone say our Father. And I want to stick on this verse, and, and uh, I, I, I want to encourage us in this season to engage God from this vantage point in this season. To engage him in our conversation. Now, there are so many different ways to pray. There are so many different uh, biblical truths. I actually believe that one of the best starting points to prayer is always thanksgiving. The psalmist said it like this. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. Praise gets you out of yourself. Thanksgiving gets you on the other side of the locked gate of the locked door you're trying to open. Everyone wants prayers answered, right? And everyone thinks that God's going to answer every request. But actually what happens, God wants to actually answer requests that have been bathed with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, that you care about my healing. Thank you, God, that over 2,000 years ago you were beaten for my healing. Thank you, God. You see, the difference when I begin to thank God for what has already taken place, my requests begin to align with his. Because thankfulness has a way of softening the heart. Now, this is not a message of thanksgiving, but there is a, a, a very important, I believe, biblical truth in approaching God with thanksgiving. When your car breaks down, what do you want to do first? Thank you, God, that my car broke down. Who wants to say that? Now, thank you, God, that you have a plan in this moment of stress. I feel anxiety, but thank you, God, that you're good in this moment. There's crisis in my life. Thank you, God, that in the midst of the crisis, you are still present and that you are going to work all things out for good. So I want to dive into this idea of our Father, though, and I want to dive into four things that I want you to write down if we get through them, hopefully. Four things to remember that are revealed to us in verse 9, just verse 9 alone. Number one, write this down, diving right into this. Number one. Remember the family. When you are praying and you are approaching God, remember it's our Father, not just my Father. Remember that you are connected, that I am the head of a body that you are connected to. Very important. Actually, the original manuscript actually reads like the Father of us. Father of all of us, hallowed be your name. Father of all of us who lives in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be kept holy. Father of all of us, we are part of family. We are connected, whether you like it or not. If you are in relationship with Jesus, you are in direct connection to family. So remember, when you approach God, you have a whole bunch of other people that are approaching God as well that you're connected to. It's our Father. Let me read this verse in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. I said I was going to teach a little bit. It will be a little bit less preachy this morning. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. You know that the only thing that you are predestined for is this. You are predestined to know God. Whether or not you accept that predestination plan is up to you. God had set it out in eternity before you entered into your earth suit, which is your human body, that you would know God and you would be holy without fault in his eyes. Verse 5, God decided, listen to this, in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. He adopted us. He adopted us out of spiritual orphanhood into the family of God. You are part of a family. You were destined to be part of a family before you were ever even born into an actual family. And that was the spiritual family that you were predestined to be adopted into before the foundation of the world began. God looked at you and said, it is good for him, it is good for her to be adopted into the family of God. That you would be found without fault and holy in God's eyes. That you would understand who you are as son and who you are as daughter. That is what you were predestined for. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Great pleasure. Now, some translations would say in that same four to five, he loved us and chose us in advance. 
What an amazing truth that he chose you in advance before you were ever even, you, before you ever even accepted the reality of who Jesus is in your life. He chose you in advance to be part of family. Which is why it's so important that when Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father, we remember that it is family. We are family approaching God. It's more than just you. And hopefully in that revelation of our, you remember there are people that have your back if you would let them. That you aren't called to live this spiritual life alone. Nobody, nobody is destined to live life alone. You cannot, it is not theologically sufficient to say God is enough. Some of you are like, whoa, what do you mean? Just read Genesis chapter 1 and 2. If God was enough, he would not have said about his own creation, it's not good enough for man to be alone. Because there's a part of the nature of God that's only seen in humanity and family. So God gave Adam what? A helper. God gave him a companion. God gave him community. God gave him someone because he knew that the fullness of who God would be would be reflected in the nature of relationship. So yes, well, there's truth in God is enough. In essence, as long as you include that part of that enough is including people in your life. That God in people is a part of that equation. For you just to say, I don't need anybody in my life. I'm going to live like a hermit in a cave by myself and I'll live the best version of my life. That is false and that will never happen. The best version of your life will be with God and people. Always, every day of the week. So God is enough as long as you include people into the equation. You with me? It's very important we understand this concept. John chapter 13 Verse 35, Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. People will see me in you based upon your love for each other. People won't just see me in you based upon your love for me. He didn't say that, did he? He said, people will see me in you based upon your love for each other. So this revelation of our Father is so important to grasp that, that it is only fully unpacked in our lives when we're with people and when we're doing life with people and when we're building kingdom with people, community. This is why this is so important. I don't think we understand the value of community until you don't have it. Some people want to come to community when they're in crisis only. You need to be in community when you're not in crisis. Because when you're not in crisis, you're actually a, a biggest target. When you're in crisis and you're already broken and you're already vulnerable, you're less of a target. Often, yes, there's still target on you, but you're way more of a target when all things look and seem good. That's when you need people the most because it's only a matter of time before you get hit. Don't just come... For, to have your needs met on a Sunday when you're in crisis, to get your fix, get your high. Tap that vein, inject, and leave. Now God wants to give you a sustainable strength, and that only comes through relationship and family and consistency. Remembering this revelation of, of our. This is the prayer of Jesus. You, you, you've, I'm sure you've, you've studied this. I'm sure you're all in on this chapter. I'm sure this is like your, your daily bread with God. I'm sure it is in John chapter 17, verse 20 to 23. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Speaking of the disciples, the apostles. And all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. His prayer was for unity. His prayer was for oneness because in oneness and in love, the world sees him. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There's power in connecting with each other. You share in this revelation of we share the same Father. We share the same Heavenly Father. There's such revelation and power in that. Number two, write this down. Remember his name and title. 
So when you're approaching God, remember that you are part of a family. Number two, remember his name and title. When you're approaching the Father, remember his name and title. It says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray like this, our Father. Say it with me, our Father. And stop there. We've talked about the our component. Now, what, what is Father? Like, what is the definition? What's the biblical definition of Father? What is a Father? Man, this culture, we have so many definitions of father, don't we? Like so many, def like wacky definitions of a father. Let me give you a biblical definition of a father in just a second. But for us to fully understand everything that comes after this phrase, our father who art in heaven, who is in heaven, may your name be kept holy that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, and it continues on. For us to fully understand everything that comes after this first verse, none of that matters if we don't understand God as Father. Because the word Father, one of the Greek, the Greek word for Father in this context literally means one who imparts life and is committed to it. So how can you pray everything Jesus teaches us to pray towards the Father if we don't have an understanding that the one we're approaching is the one who is committed to imparting life to us? We have to have an understanding of Father. If we don't have an understanding of Father, our prayers don't have any faith attached to them. We're throwing out seeds, but not on any soil. The revelation of Father, if you only have, if you believe that God is not a Father and He's an angry God, your prayers will be driven by that fear of an angry God. If you believe that God is a good Father who's righteous, who's holy, who's just, who's kind, who's compassionate, who is a provider, then your prayers will be guided by the notion of faith believing for all those things to take place in your life. How you perceive God will determine how you receive from God, always, every day of the week. If you perceive someone to be a bad person, you will receive them as a bad person in your life. Until somehow you're convinced otherwise. The same thing with God. If you perceive God to only ever want to give you what's, what is the basic need of your life, you'll never come into what God calls abundance in your life. Because you don't believe that God cares about the details. You don't believe that God cares about the desires of your heart. He only is going to give you the basic necessities of life. How you perceive God will determine always how you receive. If we don't learn to say Father, then we will never understand his authority. If we don't understand what Father is, we will not pray with authority. Without approaching God and understanding this concept of God as a father, we make ourselves the ultimate authority of our lives. Because father means a surrender. It means I trust you with my life. As a son, as a daughter, I'm surrendering. I want to be obedient. I want to do whatever it is that you want me to do. I trust that you have my best interest at heart. Let's look at this word a little bit deeper here, this definition of father. Some of the translations of this definition in the Greek represents elder, represents senior, but it's ultimately one who imparts life and is committed to it. Somebody who brings into being or brings to pass the potential for likeness, that when you understand God as a father who imparts life and is committed to it, you are understanding God as a God who wants to bring his likeness forth in your life. That when you approach God as father, you are inviting his likeness to be reflected into your life. Are you with me? It's important that we understand name and title. It's like going to a... a uh, a coffee shop or a restaurant and not knowing who to speak to because, you know, there's no name tag. Where is the manager? Where is the chef? Where is the, the guy in charge? Where is the supervisor? When you have a title, it directs traffic, right? Right? If you just show up today on the street wearing this, 
trying to direct traffic, people are going to drive by you probably. But if you show up with the uniform and you're wearing a police outfit, a police uniform, chances are people will stop because they identify you by what you wear. They identify you by what's on the outside. They identify you by name and title. It's important to understand. It represents authority. It represents power. It represents leadership. So it's important we understand name and title. Yesterday, you know, every year, every, every time really we do any, um, whether it's birthday in our household or whether it's Father's Day or Mother's Day, for the most part, those are the main things that we do special, like, breakfast is for, for all four kids, and, and my wife and I as well, and so that's six times a year. It feels like we're already in, always in a birthday season, it feels like, uh, or something's happening. Um, and the kind of the tradition in our household is, is the person that is being celebrated waits upstairs, and, and everybody, you know, makes like a big breakfast or some sort of like nice meal and there's gifts and there's cards and one of the first things that we do and now my kids love initiating it they like they bring it up we started to do it when we were they were younger but now they bring it up is that we go around the table and we everybody shares things that they love about the person that they're celebrating and so you know it's been interesting the last few years just noticing the progression as my kids get older and get deeper and get more in tune with really like understanding, you know, uh, 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 the, the reality or the value of encouragement. It's just really amazing to see. And yesterday, I got to say like, man, there was, I don't think there was a dry eye except for one, our youngest. There wasn't a dry eye at the table because as they got, went around, because we celebrate Father's Day on the Saturday always, Saturday morning. And as they went around the table, man, I just, I started to cry. The kids were crying. Every one of them started to encourage and just thank me. And I just, rem- I, I just felt like, in these moments, especially on a Father's Day or a Mother's Day, it's like when the kids can recognize title, that you are a father, that you are our father, there's something so powerful in that. That's share, it's a shared experience. When you encourage and you recognize together as a shared experience, there's more power in the shared experience than just the individual one. Because they pick up on, on each other's body language, on their emotions, on their wordplay. They, they kind of pick up, and it's kind of like that with the body, which is why I believe Jesus highlighted this. When you pray, pray, our Father. Because when you, when you understand that you're a part of a bigger picture, a bigger family, there is better and bigger strength in that than just an individual revelation of who God is as Father. Man, it was so powerful. Like, I, just, I just cried. It made me cry every, every time. And one of the things that they, they said, I'm not going to cry as I say this, but one of the things that they said that really impacted me was, and they echoed this a lot, was that I pushed them, because I'm pretty hard on my kids when it comes to pushing them to believe for their best. Because how many people in here, whether you're a father or you're a manager or whatever it is, like, you, you often can see the potential in people that they can't see. Well, as a parent, I see that in my kids all the time. I'm like, I know you can do this, but you don't know you can do this. And it's my job as a parent, as a leader, as a coach, as a father to draw out that best in you. And sometimes I get a little bit intense and I get aggressive. And I wonder, did I go too far? Did I go too far? Did I, did I break them down too much? But then to hear around the table this collective thought celebrating their father, our father, saying the same thing that you push us to be our best. I was like, wow, that's a win. Because sometimes I doubt, did I go too far? Did I go too far? Did I believe the best too much? And I'm not saying there's like balance, there's, there's like, you know, there's obviously, you can get out of balance and there's, you know, you can swing way off, offside sometimes. But as long as they can come back to that in the end, my dad's got my back and he sees what I don't see in myself. Because that's a, that's a good coach. I coach actually my son's minor league. I'm the head coach. I can't believe I did this. I'm the head coach of my son's minor league baseball team with 9 and 10-year-olds. Like, like, I love my kids, but I don't always like everybody else's kids. I'm just going to say it. Like, I, I, you know, because you just can't, you can't lead the same way. You can't discipline the same way you have to like dodge and especially in this culture and day and age it's like 
You know, you just you gotta you gotta just be a lot more. You gotta be strategic. You gotta be different. You know, you have to do things different. But I I I am the coach, and I I signed up for this based out of need, and I did it for my son. And at first, I don't think he wanted me to be his coach, to be honest with you, because I'm like, I'm his pastor, you know, like, my wife is his, is his sensei at, uh, at the dojo, like, uh, you know, I'm his dad, you know, like, there's so many things that were involved now, I'm his coach, it's like, we're just everything, we're like, our kids, like, all they know is us, it feels like at times, you know? Teacher, like, but then, but then, like, yeah, teacher, but that, but that, yeah, kid culture, like, everything, we're just, like, saturating our kids. But then, you know, at the, at the table yesterday, my, my son was like, and thank you for being the best coach. I'm like, yes, I win. That a word of the year, you know. Because I'm the coach on the field, just so you know, I'm yelling all the time. Like, I, I watch all the other coaches, like, they're silent. I'm, like, the only guy who's yelling. I'm like, is something wrong with me? But I guess I just, I've been given the gift of voice, and so I just yell the whole time. A positive way. I'm not yelling at them. I'm, like, yelling to them, pulling the best out of them. And then when they don't make the play, I'm, like, silently screaming in my head, of like, why did I sign up for this? We have a game tonight. Anyways. Another definition of this word father in this context is one with intimate connection and relationship. Like I said earlier, one who imparts life and is committed to it. One who is committed to this process of raising you up into the best version of yourself. You have may also heard this other word used for father, and it's the word, it's an Aramaic word called Abba. Everyone say Abba. Not the band. We, we've heard the word Abba, probably the Aramaic word, and it's only used three times in the New Testament. So we have the word father, which I just broke down in the Greek. That word, I'm not going to say the Greek word, in Greek to you, but then we have the word Abba that was also used, and it's only used three times, and it actually has this different element to it, and often people will say, well, it means daddy, or it means papa, and although there is truth to that, it's more than that. It's an intimate sort of communication to God as somebody who is like a dad or a papa in my life. There is this element of like intimacy connected to that word. Like I don't just know you as father, which feels so iconic and so almost at times disconnected. You know what I'm talking about? That word Abba kind of feels more intimate, more close, more like I'm family, more like I'm a son, I'm a daughter. But it actually means more than that. It means intimacy and it means obedience. Intimacy and obedience. The word Abba, the true meaning of the word Abba broken down literally could be defined like, Father, I will obey you. That's how close I am to you. As a child would perceive his father as daddy at that age where there's maybe a little bit less of like a rebellious teenager vibe happening, there is this like willingness to obey, although there might be times that there's a lashing out, there may be times when there's a disconnect or a disobedience, that in the end, daddy makes the statement that I will obey you, that I will follow you all the days of my life. Now, it's interesting because that this word, in one rabbinical commentary, in, the, in, in more traditional teaching around Jewish thought, it stated that slaves were forbidden to address the head of the family by this title. Slaves. If you were a slave, you could not say this word. It was forbidden to address the head of the family in this time, in this era. There wasn't that close proximity and it's in direct connection to one of one of three times that the word Abba is mentioned. It's mentioned in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 15. Let's read it. So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Why did he say that? Because in that culture, to say Abba was this new connection point between humanity and God. 
And because of what Jesus had done, he set us free from slavery to sin. You see the context here. So he says this in verse 14, so you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him, what does it say? Abba, Father. Both words are used. Now we call him Abba, Father. There is an intimate connection and an acknowledgement that you are the one who imparts life and is committed to it. We could not call him those, by those words when we were in bondage to sin. But now that God has set us free from the slavery to sin, we now can call him by his true nature, Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. In that, in that statement, there is an acknowledgement of sonship. In that statement, there is an acknowledgement that now we are one. Now, the other time that it's mentioned, and it's also in direct connection to what I'm talking about, is Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 to 6. Let's read this together. Like I said, track with me. I'm, I'm teaching a little bit more this morning. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves, there it's used again, slaves to the law. And it was the law of sin and death. The law kept you in slavery to sin, which is why you needed a savior to break you out of that slavery. When he broke you out of that slavery, he established in you sonship. But you were bound in chains. You were bound in chains. You were a slave to sin because you were a slave to the law. So that he could adopt us as his very own children. Now watch this, verse 6. And because we are his children... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us now to call out Abba, Father. Not just Father, Abba, Father. See that segue, that entry point? Not just Father, Abba, Father. Because of Jesus setting you free and buying out your freedom, you can now approach him with Papa, Daddy, and Father, one who imparts life. Now, you know where the other time that we see the word Abba is used? It's the first time that we see it actually in the New Testament. And it's from Jesus' mouth himself. You know where he was? He was in a garden called Gethsemane. And he was suffering. And he was under pressure. And he wanted to give up. He wanted to quit. He's like, I don't know if I can drink this cup of death. I don't know if I can die on a cross, the most gruesome death that has ever existed to mankind. I don't know if I can do that to get up on that cross and do all of that. But then he thought of you. And in that moment, in verse 36 of Mark chapter 14, he says, Abba, Father. The first time. Abba, Father, he said. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. I don't want it, but I'm all about your will. Because in the statement of Abba, remember, it's not just Daddy, Papa, it's Father, I will obey you. The first time Jesus ever called out Abba is in the context of one of the only times he didn't want to do what he was supposed to do because he was fully human, also fully God. And he shared in the likeness of humanity that he came to the end of himself and in the end of himself, he found this new address point. He found this new connection point. Abba, Father. Because Abba, it's God, Daddy. It's Papa, I will obey you. You are the one who imparts life. You've got me. To say those two words, to say those statements in a time of extreme pressure was to set his life up to actually do the impossible. That's why he opens it up by saying, everything is possible for you. Like, you can make the, you can do this in me. Like, I can do this because everything is possible for you. Abba, Father. Because Aramaic was actually Jesus' heart language. It was his, the language that he spoke in that time. Are you with me in this? Number three, remember his position. So we have remember 
the family. In the context of Matthew 6, verse 9, our Father. It's our, not my, it's our. Number two, we have remember his name and title. Number three, remember his position. Matthew 6, verse 9 to 10. Pray like this. Our Father, now say it with me. What's the next statement? That's very important. Very important. Our Father, who is where? So it speaks of a higher dimension, a higher place, a higher thought process. He deserves our highest attention. It's funny, I, was, I remember I was several years ago now, I was playing outside with my son. And one of the neighbor's kids was over. And they were playing basketball, and I was playing basketball with them. And I was kind of in and out with them and playing basketball with them. And there's, other, there's the neighbor just down the street. And out of nowhere, like out of nowhere, it was completely like a shock to me because it hadn't really happened before. So I kind of was aware this is not normal. Out of nowhere, while he was playing with his friend, he stops, runs over to me, and gives me like the biggest hug ever. I'm like, wow. I'm like, it's like, I, you know, I leaned in. I gave my son a hug. And I asked him after why did you give me, like, what prompted that? And he said these words to me, like, out of his own mouth. This is several years ago, so he was a lot younger. He said, I wanted to show my friends how much I love my daddy. Isn't that wild? Like, that just, like, touched my heart. Like, like and, and I think this, it speaks to the desire, hopefully, of kingdom people. That by loving people, by loving each other, we get the opportunity to, sh- to show the world how much we love the one who created us, our Father. Because he deserves our highest attention. I felt like I had my son's highest attention in that moment. I felt like I had his, even in the midst of his play with his friends, he had a higher attention on me. And I just to encourage all of us in this room that even in the midst of your crisis, even in the midst of your jobs, even in the midst of everything going on in your life that's stressful, if you would give a higher attention to God, you would see radical change in your circumstance. Because it's our Father who is in a higher place. A higher place. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 to 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, or my ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, listen to this, higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. He is the most high God. There is no high like the most high. I'm sure you've heard that before. He is the most high. If you want to get high, go to the most high. We call that Jehovah Wana. He's the most high. He's the most high God. His ways are higher than our ways. He deserves our highest attention. He is the best high to go after. It's our Father who is in heaven, not in the depths of hell, in heaven. Speaks to a higher place, a higher plane. Colossians 3, verse 1 to 3, since you were brought back to life with Christ, Paul says this, focus on things that are above in a higher place where Christ holds the highest position. Do you see that? He's the highest position. This is why we need to remember his position. His position is higher than our position. His position, this is what screwed up all of humanity, by the way. The devil wanted his highest position. The devil wanted the higher position. You know what screwed everything up? It's five words, five five letters. You know what it spells? Pride. Pride always comes before the, the fall. To be proud in anything other than who God is in our life is to set ourselves up for failure. Pride screwed it all up for the devil. He, pride, proud, pride was found in his heart. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be above God. And so he 
was struck down like lightning. And he became what we know as today as Lucifer, Satan. He was once a covering cherub. He was actually a cherub angel. You know that? That Satan was a cherub angel in the Garden of Eden. He was good. But pride was found in his heart. Pride is never a good thing. He is the most high God. Remember his position. Set your minds on things above. Psalms 83 verse 18. That they may know that you alone whose name is Lord are the most high over all of the earth. I want to get a higher perspective in life, a higher experience. Do you? A higher perspective. When you're going through hell, crisis, your best prayer is to get a higher perspective. Give me a higher perspective. Help me to see above what's going on. Help me to rise above what's going on. Help me to see what you see. I want a higher perspective. I want your perspective. So to pray our Father who is in heaven is to make the statement that I am going to come up there with you and see like you see. Because that will actually help me administrate and pray properly. To acknowledge that he is in a higher place and then to remember that because of what Jesus has done in his death and his resurrection, which is why a little bit of this prayer, it shifts from our Father who art in heaven to now our Father who is in heaven along with myself. Because Ephesians says you've been raised with Christ and seated with him in that highest position in heavenly places. The only reason why you can approach in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16, you can approach the throne of grace to obtain mercy in time of need is because you are a citizen of heaven and you live there. You live in two places at the same time, on earth and in heaven. Your spirit is united as one in heaven, perfected. Your soul may be catching up, but your spirit is identified as a son, united with Christ, if you are in Christ in relationship with me, him, and you are in heaven right now. That's why now you can pray and bring heaven to earth. You are an, admit, an administrator, a steward of heaven's mandate on the earth because you share a seat with Christ in heavenly places. This is where that prayer begins to alter into a new covenant context. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, but all, I'm also there with you. We are co-what? Hairs. Hairs. Co-heirs. We are co-laborers. We are walking side by side. We are together in this. How are we together? Because we live together in your house, the house of heaven. Last point and we're done. Number four, remember his holiness. Remember his holiness. Like I said, I, I, I was teaching a little bit this morning. I want us to get this understanding of our Father. Verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6, one of the prayers that most people pray but have no idea what it means. No idea. They recite these religious prayers almost like chants and have no idea what it means. Our Father who is in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Is another way of saying, hallowed be your name. Remember his holiness. Pray like this, Jesus says, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. This word means to regard as special. To hallow it, the name of God is to regard as special or sacred or to sanctify. To remember his holiness should be a trigger for you to live that life out yourself. That because he is, so should I. God has called us to live a lifestyle that represents who he is in his nature. To remember his holiness is to enact a lifestyle of holiness ourselves. Now we're going to miss it. But there's so much power when you acknowledge the holiness of God, it should be acknowledged through and in your life, in your lifestyle at some level. It should touch every area of your life. Paul said in Romans chapter 12 of Romans, Romans chapter 12, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is your spiritual act of worship. This is the nature of what God has called you to. To use God's name in vain is to not just say, oh my God. Like your parents have taught you, sorry parents, if you taught your kids this. 
To use the name of God in vain is not to just say Jesus Christ when you're angry. Let me tell you the, the worst, the worst, what's even worse than all of that is to live a lifestyle that misrepresents the name you say you wear. If I say I'm supervisor of Starbucks and I don't do my job, I'm using that name supervisor in vain. It has no meaning. It has no meaning. If I say I'm manager of this restaurant and don't fix managerial problems, that name has no meaning. I'm using the name tag in vain. If you live a lifestyle that misrepresents the name of God, that's using his name in vain. Now, I'm not saying you should use Jesus' name as a swear word when you hurt yourself. If it's a prayer, whatever. I'm not going to judge your heart. But I'm saying what's even worse is living a lifestyle of something you say you believe and it not even be true to you. And let me just close with this, like, really obscure passage, okay? Are you almost, are you okay? Yeah, give me like, like two and a half more minutes. Let me close with a really obscure passage. Because Jesus has called us to pray in his name, which is holy. To pray in his name. There is no power when you pray in his name if you don't live the lifestyle. You can say you're a supervisor all you want. But if you've not been delegated as supervisor, you ain't supervising anything. I can walk into Starbucks today, go behind the counter, and start acting like supervisor, but nobody on staff is going to listen to me because I've not been given delegated authority. Right? Let me read Acts 19, then we're going to close. Acts 19, this is a little couple verses here. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons had tu that touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. The seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil, listen this, the demon... Okay? The demon answered them and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but who are you? Why? Because they were just using the name. It's like walking into Starbucks. You know, I know so-and-so, so-and-so, but who are you? I've never interacted with you before. The demon is saying this to these people, the seven sons of Sceva. Listen to this. So Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but who are you? Verse 16. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Isn't that wild? If you try to be something that you're not, life will beat you up. And that is a fact. Verse 17, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed that they had what they had done. A number, a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them pu publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas in this way, which would have been about $6 million, by the way. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And the reason why I share this is because when you understand God's holiness and you wear that in your lifestyle, you will have power in your life to move mountains. You will have power in your life to set and see people set free. Which is why we need to understand this so much. Why don't you stand up with me, please? I really wrestled with this message a little bit this morning on Father's Day because I know it was a little bit of a heavy and I know it was a little bit of a more of a teachy style and sometimes you lose people along the way. But my prayer this morning that is that you would, if you get one thing, you get one thing and it's just this revelation of our Father. To remember his name, to remember his position, to remember 
his title, what and what all that represents, to remember that he is holy and he is a good father and has a plan for your life. And if you're in this room and you've never opened up your heart to Jesus before, like you're, you don't, maybe you're here by accident or you kind of just came in, you were invited by somebody, you don't know what would happen to you if you were to die today. The best decision you can make on Father's Day is to encounter the Father, the real Father who will never leave, never forsake you, who has a plan for your life, has purpose for your life. If you can just close your eyes just for a few moments, if you're in this room and and you would say that that's you, that you want to make that decision today. You feel like you were here for a reason. You don't know what would happen to you. Maybe you're sitting on the fence. Maybe you're on the fence of faith right now. You're kind of half in, half out. You say you believe in God, but you know your lifestyle does not represent you and this understanding of Father in your life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to get off that fence today and be all in. Because Jesus is an all-in God. You cannot sit on the fence and live the life that God's called you to live. You cannot sit on the fence and fulfill the purpose that God's called you to fulfill. You cannot be the best version of yourself sitting on the fence, being half in and half out. God wants relationship with you. He doesn't want religion. He wants relationship with you. And if that's you in this room this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. If we can just together say, Jesus... You are Lord, you are God, and I believe that you were raised from the dead on the third day to set me free, to raise me to new life, to give me relationship with you. And so today I receive your forgiveness, and I receive the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, and I want to move forward today off the fence and into friendship with you. Lead me in Jesus' name. Amen. What a beautiful message. Thank you so much for sharing that, Pastor Sean. Um, I want to encourage you that if you um, decided to make a decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, send us an email. We want to be a part of this next step that God has for you in your life and in your walk of faith. So shoot us an email at prayerkingdomculture.ca and we would love to support you in your next steps and as you navigate what God has for you next. Thank you so much for enjoying, for enjoying us, for joining us this morning. We hope that you are blessed by this message and we can't wait to see you at church in person July 2nd wearing red and white to support our nation. Be blessed.